Hey. Right after uh, the July 4th, Independence Day, I got my, my pride going on here for the U.S. men's and women's national teams. Uh, I think the men's national team is playing right at the conclusion of this show today. So uh, for all you soccer fans out there, um, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> We're here for Connect This. So we are going to launch into a really fun show today. Uh, it's about time. We had the crew all back. I think it's been a month since we had the crew all together here. So uh, we are back together. Uh, I am saturated with light. You can almost see through me, I feel like, with this uh, video setup. And uh, I am excited to talk about all the topics we have today. But let's get back with uh, asking Doug. How are you doing, Doug? Welcome back. Well, apparently I have a new title. Just so everyone watching this, all three of you know, I don't pick these titles. So today I'm a soothsayer. So <laughs> any sooth you need, Travis, I'm going to give it to you. I love You're it. just testing my lisp. <laughs> uh, welcome back, Doug. I actually presented this morning on the Benton Accelerate uh, program, and I, I think I came shortly after you did. So hopefully I haven't uh, done too much damage to whatever wisdom you left them with. Oh, that's a good group. I like those folks. Yep. So. Uh, we got Kim McKinley <clears throat> from Utopia Fiber. Welcome back, Kim. I thought that I was just pushing a link to go to Amazon Prime for Prime Day, but I just ended up here. So it's a little bit different than I thought, but here I am. Today's anti-monopoly day, not Prime Day. Fun, fun oh, story. Gosh. I know. Kim, you're just ruining my fun. I think on our last show, <laughs> you were literally getting an upgrade during the show. You got upgraded on that flight out of, out of Tahoe, I want to say. For the fiber to the home? Event? No, I didn't give it. You know, I didn't get the fiber upgrade connect? out of Tahoe. I got it out of like 7 a.m. out of Seattle to Sacramento. So the flight <laughs> that nobody wants, I got the upgrade. So, uh, yeah, no. That, right. uh, thanks for noticing that I've gotten one upgrade in this year. Um, over 30 flights, one upgrade. <laughs> Travis, uh, welcome back. I think you just got back from the Hoosier State. Well, I want to apologize to the soccer what are they called? The national soccer team for U.S. Game? men's national team, U.S. women's national team. I want to I want to apologize for taking their other fan away from them right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I I believe um, right now the rankings are connect. This is being watched by more people than the soccer people. So there you go. <laughs> I didn't even know we had a soccer team, Mr. Mitchell. Not only that, we apparently have a beach soccer team. One of the players for a Minnesota women's professional team called Aurora just got called up. And I was like, where'd you get called up to? And like got called up to the national beach soccer team. So we've got a lot of national teams, apparently. Yeah, but I do, I do have a little soccer trivia for you. I did go to Old Trafford and watch Manchester United play one time. So there you go. Yeah, no, when, uh, for everyone's aware, Travis is not a big fan of sports, but he knows when he has an opportunity to see something cool. Like when there was that, uh, the hurricane was hitting uh, Tampa Bay and it looked like uh, that uh, Tom Brady might be playing here in Minnesota unexpectedly. Uh, we were going to go to it if that, uh, if that happened, yep, even yep. though you could care less about football. <laughs> I also saw Michael Jordan play in person. So that was uh, my big, my big sports thing. Yeah. So people are here to hear us talk about broadband and either make fun of us or rage watch or say, yeah, yeah, that's what I think, too. And I uh, wanted to launch off with uh, kicking around the federal government a little bit, because uh, what's better to kick off a show than that? And 
Now, this is something that actually uh, just came across my radar this morning. So I threw it into the queue. And there's like, I think there's a discussion. Uh, there's actually a bill proposed uh, to basically force the federal government to have a cohesive digital divide, digital equity strategy, because uh, different parts of the government have different ideas about it. And uh, I looked at it and I was like, eh, who cares? I feel like, Doug, that was your reaction too. No, actually, my reaction is stronger than that. Please do not do that, is my reaction. Um, the federal government's never had a broadband policy that turned into anything tangible. And so, I mean, how many, how many good things did you get out of our last national broadband plan? Well, it had a lot of good ideas. It's just that none of them were executed. None of them, literally none of them, yes. So, yeah, so though I guess if we have a plan that isn't going to do anything, I guess we could have one of those. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm curious. I have a reaction that's very similar, but um, uh, I'm curious about Travis and Kim. You want to go Travis first? Take it away, Kim. I got one to get them wound up. So you go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll do the pre-winding up. Okay. Let, let's stop having the people who've never developed or been on the in the trenches of broadband networks developing plans because right. they're not talking to each other. You can develop a plan, but if it's not executable, who cares? Vice versa. So um, if we're going to develop a plan, could you just let the people who've actually done this actually be part of the process of developing said plan? The end. Thank you. Off to you, Travis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These are the same people that define broadband as 25-3, right? Same some of people. them are, but it'll also be people that define broadband as 100-100, and some of them Ooh, would define broadband 100 whoa. by 20. Pump the brakes. 100 by 100? What is this, 1972? <laughs> yeah. Calm down, Mr. Mitchell, with your uh, big aspirations over there with the government. So, you know, I I just want them to focus on the pothole out in the front of my house. That's all I really want government. Well, we're talking about the federal government here, Travis, and you're well, betraying a help. little bit. Of yeah. <laughs> maybe they can build back better the pothole out in the front yard. I keep driving over. Unless you're on 394. I'm not sure that uh, <laughs> the federal government's going to do a lot for you. I, I don't know. Isn't the market doing a fine job with it already? You know, considering that all the B dollars are going to the incumbents, that should handle it this once-in-a-lifetime investment. And, Chris, if they solve it, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> we'll find something, Travis. Okay, all right. We'll convert our fan into wanting to just talk about wings all the time. <laughs> the fan. I, I you know, so I, I have a reaction that um, I would say, you know, it's just that I fear that the 25-3 people would win in that cohesive strategy. And right now, I think we benefit significantly from a non-cohesive plan from having some agencies that are doing a good job and others that aren't, and we can kind of focus where we can make progress. And I just worry that something that uh, is um, agreed upon by all is basically written by Comcast and AT&T uh, or something like that. I like that. Is that what we're going to start calling them now, the 25 by threes? <laughs> kind of like green textures, right, Kim? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 25 threers? 25 mm -hmm. threers. I like it. <clears throat> So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are some people who would say that there's a lot of benefits from having the federal government all aligned and working together. And I'm just not persuaded that that is nearly as important, um, that is worth putting any energy into it when we can instead, I think, focus on states and localities that are doing a good job, elevate those, and we'll probably see more progress there sooner than if we were to convince the federal government to do something. Because I feel like if we won the battle, and we had a cohesive federal plan, I can guarantee you it would get $0 for funding and doing anything with it. I went to a meeting this week here in Western North Carolina, and they were, they're putting together a plan to get 
devices into people's house, refurbished devices. There were so many high-level players there, and there was so much excitement in the room. We do not need the federal government. Fact is, we can take care of this locally. And so, we need the federal government to write a check. I think that would help them, right? The fact is, they're going to be able to do it without a check. Checks are nice, but they're not counting on a check. So they've decided we're just going to solve it. I'll take a check. I mean, anybody want to give me a check? But I think it, this goes back to, I agree with Doug, we need to keep things local. And I, do we not have enough things happening in the federal government? Do just more? Do people want more work and more things to write up? We've got a lot going on right now. So I think we need to focus on what we're going and letting these states and local localities do what they need to do with the money and not worry about a national broadband plan. Okay. I mean, I think there are people, I'll just want to acknowledge that there are people out there who disagree with us, but uh, we are four people that disagree on a lot of things here and there, but uh, this is something that I think we all agree. We have um, a unified front today. Well, so, hold on. Not for long, guys. Not for a long. Oh, my. Someone's primed for this show. <laughs> Travis, are you looking something up to just poke me with? Well, no, no, no. I was just wondering, are we... Because I don't see it in the notes from the show, which, by the way, we get an email periodically about this. I don't. Are you referencing a feasibility study or something here? What are you? No, this is the item that I just interjected this morning because oh. um, that's he, um, he my just win. made it up, Travis. He okay, okay, up, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, related to that though, uh, I think we can get in this one in through pretty quickly. The ACP program. If you're getting money from Bead, you're required to use the ACP program. Um, ACP program could well not exist at that point. Just have zero dollars in it. Um, somewhat entertaining um, in a very dark sense that um, Congress neglected to give it enough money to be around when the money actually came out. Any thoughts on that? Well, we've known that since the day it came out, so it was really obvious. Yeah. No, except okay. no one thought no one thought it would take this long to get beat out the door. But, okay, yeah. so you can if you have ACP and we just don't have any money, you qualify, right? That you're meeting the requirement. So that's a good point. <laughs> you just no, have that's... to say you're participating. It doesn't mean that any money's flowing out the other side. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I, but I mean, I think there's a question. I mean, I'm really curious exactly how it was written because I think unintentionally, but you know, if you're participating, it may mean that you're offering a certain plan. And if the federal government's not re reimbursing you, you might still be on the hook. Uh, I don't know. That's going to be awful for small ISPs, if that's the case. It does require two things. It requires a low-income plan, and it requires you participate in the ACP. So you do have to have a low-income plan that comes out of your own pocket. So that's going to be curious to see how that moves forward. Yes. Who's monitoring this? I mean, I get. I guess I have a question of the, this money is going to the states correctly. The state, states are going to disseminate it to the ISPs. Are the ISPs going to report it back to NTIA? Who's monitoring if they're following ACP and all of these guidelines? For about three years, you report in nauseating detail back to the state. Once your network's completely built and running, that'll slow down and no one will monitor you. So the, the, uh, report, the reporting for BEAT is like writing a book every month. It's unbelievably horrible. So. And I think, you know, that's why we, Travis wants some of that money. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Let the record show that Travis is good. Um, the uh, the other thing I want to know, there's a, a quick title popped up there, acp-dashboard.com. If you want to know more about where the money has been spent, how much is left and things like that, acp-dashboard.com has got it for you. Thanks to the lovely staff of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. 
Um, so moving on to a question about Utopia, uh, we're going to be, I didn't even mention the folks, what else we're going to be talking about today, but, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, fixed wireless, uh, and, uh, mapping and universal service is going to be a chunk and, um, and talking about, uh, particularly an article about fixed wireless in Maine that I think offers some interesting insight. And I'm just curious about a discussion around, uh, some of the economics and things like that around it. But before we do that, we're going to talk briefly about Bountiful Utah. Uh, Kim, what is going on in Bountiful Utah, a city of what, 45,000 people, something like that? Something like that. It's a suburb of Salt Lake City. Um, as my friend Bob would say, it's a leafy suburb. Um, I had never heard of that until recently. But it is a city that in 2020 was uh, was approached by a lot of their residents during the midst of the pandemic, and they said they needed better broadband. Um, and so the city did a very comprehensive approach of doing a city survey. They went down the routes of talking to all the local incumbents, um, talking to all the companies, hired um, a consultant to do some work, and and they had a fiber committee. They, they did everything over the past three years. Um, in the end, they decided they wanted to own the asset because they are a power city and they own their own power structure. And they decided- When you say that, that means that they're, they own a municipal electric- Yeah, electric municipal, system. yeah. Different Which states makes call sense. it different things. Oh yeah, thank you, Chris. And so uh, back in June, they decided to go forward with uh, creating Bountiful Fiber and Utopia Fiber would be their operational partner, uh, similar to how we're doing it in Yellowstone and in Idaho Falls. Um, after they had agreed to do that, there was a petition that was notified of the city uh, that that some people were gathering signatures to put this um, item on the ballot uh, because it's using taxpayers' dollars. Um, since then, it's it's a, one of the really big interesting parts about this is that the city couldn't have brought this to the ballot even if they wanted to of how they were structuring this. Um, so this is the only way to get it on the ballot. But the way this is going is non-bountiful residents, um, i.e. the Utah Taxpayers Association is behind this signature gathering request. And they are going out there and tell, asking people if they, if they need to sign this, if they want to put this on the ballot. Um, it has been said, and there's some videos out there of some unscrupulous tactics that some of these signature collectors are using, saying they represent the city. Um, others are saying that if you want fiber, you need to sign this petition. So it's a very, there's a big um, misinformation campaign going on. So Bountiful right now is in the midst of that and uh, really trying to get the word out to the residents of what is actually happening and that this is not something that Bountiful City has tried to slide th under the radar. They've had 20, this subject has been brought up in 24 city council meetings. Um, they have done a very comprehensive process. So it's just another attempt of big telecom trying to stop municipal broadband from happening. I actually had a conversation with the head of the Utah Taxpayers Association yesterday, and I said, if you're really for taxpayers, why would you, why don't you have problems with billions of dollars of money has gone to uh, the big incumbents and they haven't delivered? And he said this, well, we hope they will deliver. Yeah, and maybe said, maybe AT and T is going to finally build that DSL out in uh, Mississippi that yes. they got the three hundred million dollars for, and they forgot to do. Yeah, it, it was like you don't. A city doesn't put their hopes and dreams into that somebody will build for them. They have to take it into their own hands. I just said, I hope that I have a million dollars when I go home tonight in my bank account. Probably won't happen, but I can hope for it. So uh, it's it's an interesting uh, situation and. 
it's what we're going to see is more and more money and more and more municipalities try to go down this road. They are going to be challenged. Big telco does not want to see their market share dwindle at all. Soothsayer yeah. says she's not going to have a million dollars when she goes home. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I and I think it's worth noting, like the cable and telephone companies right now are quite worried. Uh, you know, they are seeing significant losses to fixed wireless, not like devastating losses, but enough that Wall Street is pausing. Right. I mean, I think when you look at the amount of money that is going to flow to the from the federal government to Comcast, Charter and AT&T, Lumen, perhaps uh, Frontier, um, their share prices are quite low. And and actually getting lower in, in many cases. And so, you know, I got to think that they are panicking about the perception that they're losing subscribers and they're very worried about competition. Absolutely. It's a terrible thing. I mean, I would, I am all for us all being in a competitive marketplace place if it's an even playing field. You know, Travis and I can go against each other in a market, but if it's head to head competition where it's equal, I think that's fair. But when you're using money and you don't know where it's coming through this dark money channels, I just think it's nasty tactics and you're not playing above board. Let's play all in the same playing field, folks. Let's make it competitive. Well, my first question is, who is the U.S. Taxpayers Association? Utah, no, Utah, 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 Utah taxpayers. taxpayers. Um, they don't really have any information. They don't have any information on their board. They don't have any information really on who's funding it. We know from some of the previous um Things that we have seen is that Comcast and CenturyLink are some of their biggest uh, funders on it, okay. uh, and it turns out the the um, uh, the people who are gathering the signatures come from a company called Gather Incorporated, and one of the uh, owners are back. One of the owners of that company used to be a uh, I think a legislative. Um, person from the Utah Taxpayers Association. So uh, I think Bountiful, if anybody's curious and wants to watch some of their presentations, they've left their open house and some of their city council meetings where they dive into the research they've done on this initiative. And they have done a very comprehensive approach. And it's very interesting to hear and see what they found out when they really dug deep of um, who is behind this. But it is well, very uh, dark. I want to offer one of the comments that uh, that leaves me in very high esteem with Travis, um, uh, particularly. I just read a book about the history of Bechtel, uh, a company that's one of the largest contractors in the world for building big construction and whatnot. Um, and I didn't know a whole lot about it. I've, I've held them in high esteem, knowing that they built the Hoover Dam on time and under budget and whatnot. Uh, and and um, the founders of Bechtel and the people that play in that world are the ones that fund these kinds of organizations. They are companies that make almost all of their money off of federal governments. They get their big paydays and they do not want to pay taxes on it and they don't want anyone else to get any money. And they basically live off of government money and contracts that are um, mostly legitimate, uh, but then uh, they uh, want to fund, use a lot of that money to fund efforts to try to destroy government. It's an interesting kind of arrangement. And it's been around forever. I mean, there was probably a hundred municipal projects who have had almost the same thing happen to them. Every time it's a slightly different flavor, but they have been amazing at marshalling the forces to, to come in and try to stop these projects. And if you recall last year, they actually stopped three or four projects in Maine. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes they're very good at it. Years ago, they stopped the project in uh, North St. Paul, that little town that's in yeah, it was like city. 12, 15 years ago. Yeah, those people yeah. got off the bus to vote and they didn't even know what they were voting for. They just knew it was right. a no vote. Yeah. 
It's it's very interesting. And I think if it wasn't if it was bountiful residents who were going out with this initiative and they were the ones who are collecting the, the signatures, I think it's a valid um, initiative. But right now, these are non bountiful people coming into bountiful and dictating what their future looks like. And I just don't think that's fair. Maybe I'm like Chris. I'm too positive and think the hope and the light um, of, of all these things. But it's it's been an interesting experience because Utopia hasn't experienced this kind of pushback or been part of it in a very long time. And um, to be back on the trenches is is kind of interesting and a little anxiety ridden. Um, yeah, I mean, if to take the criticism seriously, if St. Paul or Minneapolis said, you know what, we think municipal broadband is really great. And, uh, and, and there's so much success with it, we're going to put it on the ballot, we're going to just build a municipal network, you know, starting next year, and we're going to solve all the problems, I would vote no against it. Like, like I would do that. And it would mm -hmm. be, I think it would be a very bad idea. In fact, I've opposed an, an effort here, that mm -hmm. was a public private partnership, because I did not think it was uh, going to result in, in benefits. So I understand that people are not always in favor of municipal broadband. But this is the same thing we, we saw before in Longmont, which is a fascinating situation where Everyone on the ballot supports a project, a plan, and yet there's enough of this dark money that comes in to fool people that half of the people vote no on it, despite the fact that like every single person that's looked into it is basically in support of it. But there's a lot of people who can be scared into voting no on something like this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is that we don't understand all the legalities and what cities have done. I wouldn't know unless I'd been at some of these conversations. So I think it's very it's it's interesting because Bountiful went out and did a very comprehensive study and it was over 50 to 60 percent of the residents were in favor of this. And I think what you see in cities who have the public power or the municipally owned electric utility, you see a lot more of those cities who are uh, more game to go down this road because they see the benefits that came from having their own power system in their community. It's cheaper yeah, rates. I mean, if St. Paul, the point I was trying to make that I didn't make very well is if St. Paul and Minneapolis did 24 meetings in which I saw they took it seriously and had a sense of what they were doing, I'd probably be supportive of it. <laughs> but, but like, you know, that's just not what's happening here. Bountiful did his homework. They made a decision. So any, any thoughts on this, Travis, before we move on? I just find it amazing. It took him three years and 24 meetings to, to decide to do this. Huh? But that's what you want, right? You're talking about the people's money, right? I mean, I, I try to feel like when I'm spending other people's money, I have an obligation to do more due diligence than when I'm spending my own money. And so that's what we want to see, I think, from a local government. You know, Chattanooga took many years to decide to move forward. Yeah, I don't mind the three years. That's three years from the first concept. That's not too bad. It's really not, Travis. Governments move slow. Yeah. yeah. So. No, I just, that was three years of feasibility studies or just. No, uh, no, that's three <laughs> years, including the first year they probably did surveys and, you know, yep. on and on and on. They did, so. they did surveys, then they hired a consultant, then they hired a fiber committee, then they issued an RFP, and then they looked at all the models that made sense for their community. Who, I who, say this who, a lot. Who's the incumbent there? Uh, you. Oh, is it me or is it Kim? <laughs> That's not me. Yeah. Oh, there Kim, we lost you, but now you're back. Right. Who's the incumbent there? Who are the incumbents? Oh, CenturyLink and Comcast. Of course. You, uh, I just want to you know, no, uh, no conspiracy here or anything, but like. <laughs> you want to say the big C name in that company. Yes. You know, the city is very supportive. And I mean, I was at, a, at the open house last night and it was really positive to see a open house by a city to have probably a little less than 100 people in the room 
and you saw the passion and you saw people who are live streaming it and who are watching it live. I think there is a, it's a very uh, beautiful community here in Utah and they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of pride of what they've done. So I am, uh, I'm hopeful. I think we see where it goes. And I, I think that Bountiful is just the, the latest example, as uh, Doug said, of what we're going to see over the next couple of years as some of these things get challenged. And I think we're going to see them get challenged in a bigger way as Big Telco has never seen um, their market share get challenged like it is right now with the bead money coming out. Temporarily, I think. I mean, I, and we'll, we'll come back to this in a second. I wanted to give a, a chance to Travis to respond to the question uh, that we got over uh, Twitter, which was, um, what kind of market share is there? Let's assume we're two years into a neighborhood that you've brought that competition to. Um, uh, Travis, what do you leave behind? Oh, less than half. Yeah, that, that's why I just, it's it surprises me that it takes so long to make these decisions. Who, who would not want it? You know, but when Travis leaves half behind, that includes people who keep the cable company. How many keep? How many people keep DSL? Oh no, no, no. So, so the people that are left behind are the newspaper readers and the linear television watchers. That that's the demographic we leave behind. Right. Any anyone uh, under the age of fifty, uh, we get them right away. Travis, you've have you looked at going into? You know, it's just I'm picking something out. Like, let's just say for a second that you wanted to build in um, a, a large. A suburb of, of Phoenix while you're down there over the winter. Um, do you have a sense of what it would look like in terms of your market share in a brand new environment, what you might expect uh, where people didn't have years of having their neighbors talk about you? Yeah. In a, in a, in a market that they don't know the provider, I was, and I'd be curious, Kim might have a better feel on this in the utopia world, but it, it does take two to three years to really get your name out there mm -hmm. and um, you know, get, but once, once your name is established, then it's on. Yeah. So no, absolutely. Yeah. But the first few years you do smaller builds and then mm -hmm. after, in your, in year four, you really ramp up your build. That's why I was looking at the geography of Bountiful, you know, it shouldn't take more than two, three years to build that whole place out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then you'll be the dominant factor by, by year five, you'll have basically everybody. Well, and that, that's some of the concern, too, is that if this delays and it goes to the ballot in December, it's what is the cost of this project has risen in that time with yeah. what we're seeing in this industry. It's not just it's the that if it goes on the ballot, which I think that it would pass if it does go on the ballot, but that it raises the cost substantially and you just missed a whole construction season mm -hmm. um, because we were supposed to break ground in July. So it's uh, it, it is going to be an interesting and maybe guys, maybe they don't have the signatures. We shall see. Um, I think it's never um, a dull moment, but uh, I think that you see and I will answer your question, Travis. I think you can see. I think that's what you just mentioned is very important is when you're building and to get those take rates, those really fast take rates in the first few years is the customer service and the customer experience on the ground as you're building it out. Um, we'll help you get that brand name out there and help you with take rates in year four and five, too. Well, are you, are you going to do aerial there or are you doing all underground? Um, in Bountiful, I think it's a mix. Um, I yeah. think it's a mix. I'm not really sure. I haven't been in those meetings. Um, I've been in every other meeting. I get to go to the fun meetings about politics yeah. and not the ones about construction. <laughs> yeah. The, the aerial guys have a huge advantage, both on deployment timeline and disruption of, of, the, of the neighborhood. So mm -hmm. if, if, it's area, if it's one of these uh, power companies that owns the poles, they should be able to slam this thing out pretty quick. 
Related to that, um, Doug bet that I would not have fiber before the end of the summer. Uh, and I'll just note that nothing has changed since the last show. Uh, the cables are, I think they're waiting on a, on a permit on a couple of poles that they hadn't planned to be on. They were planning to go underground in an area. So um, I don't know, Doug. I'm going to be blaming you if it, if it happens. I, no, I'm, just tell, I'm just telling you how the big companies take forever to get things done. Travis would have solved it quickly. So Yeah, you know, sometimes you just – we had a whole area of the city that we couldn't get lit up because we couldn't get across one street, right. and, you, and there was just nothing you could do about it. I was right. I was even whining at Chris one day. It was about thirty feet of boring, and then it would light up a whole area, and you just had to wait. You had to wait for the other guys to get their work done. So, um, Doug, you wrote about uh, fixed wireless access and mapping. Uh, what? is your big concern and uh and i just specify that this is the big guys the big mobile wireless this companies. is about cellular this article is right. about cellular the problem is you know the grants all say that if you have licensed spectrum and you deliver at least 100 down 20 up that you are that's broadband and you're served and these guys can pop up a cell site and then claim a large circle around it and basically claim that as a broadband monopoly. And in fact, if you start looking in detail at what they've reported in the FCC maps, they're grossly overstating the coverage area of where those things can reach. And so, because that is very different, it's a very different technology than fixed wireless. This stuff just beams out, it just goes in all directions. And what happens is, you know, if you're really close to the tower, you can get really good speeds a mile away less, two miles away a lot less, three miles away it really peters out. And so so th their actual footprint's small. And the FCC said they were gonna require those guys to do heat maps, which really shows the truth about where they're going, but they haven't done that yet. And so the, the fear is all these people are out here trying to create bead programs and grants, and right in the middle of your bead project, one of these guys can turn up a month before you file your grant and they can go that's served now sorry and they will they will come into the grant office and go i'm sorry i put broadband in there now and they will probably win and the fact is those guys shouldn't count as broadband at all because they don't try to serve everybody and they also they also constrict your usage anytime they're the cell covered you know they're, they're there to serve cell phones this is a hobby on the side they yeah. sell this as extra revenue, but anytime that cell service gets a little bit heavy, they just tweak down the fixed wireless broadband. I mean, you can literally in the evening have, have it turned off if it got really heavy. And so that should not qualify as broadband. You should be required to have to serve and willing to serve everybody and not restrict your broadband. But that's not how the rules are written. And these guys are gonna come running through and devastate. As hard as beat already was, they just made it that much more complicated. So. And, and and it's all the, it's a brand new technology. When they wrote when I, IAJA was passed, this stuff wasn't even out in the field. And that's how new it is. They should have well, just said this is experimental and new. It doesn't count for big grants. That would have been the easy solution, but that's not what they've done. So this this reminds me of um, it's not 
totally one-to-one, but I don't know if Kim and Travis have heard this, but I bet you have, Doug. It reminds me of the the magic IP pixie dust uh, from the debates of uh, starting maybe 10 years ago uh, and still more recently, which was you take a, a telephone service, which is regulated one way, you sprinkle in some IP pixie fairy dust, and hey, poof, there's no more requirements to actually repair or offer a reasonable service or this or that. It was the magic deregulatory. Right. This is like the magic re- regulatory technology of getting rid of competition of yes. just of hey we've got this thing and this plays right into something that john chambers has been talking about which i actually um, i invite him to join the show i'm hoping he'll be able to join us as a guest on a show coming up to talk about this but i feel like ntia has really failed to grasp the challenges of working with wireless uh in that it is not about licensed um, pixie dust or not licensed. Uh, It it was really about carrier of last resort. Can you serve everyone? The question should not be, can you serve a household with a high quality product? It is, can you serve all of the households in this area with a high quality product? And as I'm not an expert on this stuff, Doug, you've read, you've, you know, it much better than I do, but I just feel like that's missing from what I've seen. That's completely missing it. And if we really want to now get 20 mean emails will say the same thing is true for wisps. Now we've done it. <laughs> so I'll, I want to come back to that and talk about that. But because, first I want to, I want to see uh, Kim w- waving up there. Usually not, they're not able to serve everybody. That's their, that's their. Story. And I, I would not distinguish out to wisps, but I would say that wireless, um, it is more true of the wireless technology than others. Um, but we can it's, talk about that in a second. It's satellite, everything, everything. Yeah, is satellite especially. Can't, everybody can't serve everybody. So. Ms. McKinley. I was asking, like, they put a lot of restrictions on what technology could be used for bead. And why wouldn't they have put any restrictions on this? I just don't understand why they would be so adamant of what this money could be used for, but put nothing on this technology well, you, you, it being so news, new. Well, first off, they probably, first off, states could use this money and give out grants for this. The problem is not what it's used for. These guys can block you from getting a bead grant. That's the problem. I mean, they can say, I'm sorry, that area has coverage. You, you can't get a grant. It has 25.3. That's the issue. Ha- well, no, that's it has the hun- issue. No, okay. it has 120. So they, right, they could say gonna, both. And so they, I mean, many states won't even get past 25.3. So if they can plausibly right. say 25.3, then that will stop it. In many states, in all states, um, there's a possibility of them blocking with 120 as well. Now, with that said, a couple of the fixed wireless cellular companies think they're going to get a bunch of bead money. So they're going to try to win grants with this stuff, too. So that that's a whole second issue, and there are, I don't mind that because the state bribing offices can decide if they want fiber or this, but but they're blocking legitimate projects from getting grants. I haven't, and so I haven't read the challenge rules again since they were finalized. I don't remember them well enough from before from the proposal. Um, do, do states have discretion on this, or do they not have discretion on this issue? Uh, NTIA set the definitions, and they said that if it's can deliver 100 by 20 and it's got licensed wireless that that counts as served even if it's only to one home and you can't do anything else technologically well, well they have really haven't they really haven't gotten specific yes there's still time to get it right i would hope i would hope well i think state broadband offices my theory has always been once they get the money you know it's easier to ask for forgiveness and just give the money who they want to give it to but and i think a lot of states intend to do that but some of okay. them are going straight by the rules. So, yeah. I'm going to go back to my question to Travis. Who the hell is going to apply for this money with all these like rules and every day is something it. new that doesn't work. Every day, this grant gets harder. 
good question. I, I are we still debating if <laughs> wireless technology? Is that was that still? I thought that we solved that in episode seventy-two. No, I mean, I I think this is something, and, I, and honestly, like I don't want to keep coming back to it over and over again. But I think, particularly because John Chambers has been raising this, I think it's really important for people to understand what the issues are. And I actually think. You could we could simplify it if we want to in ways that I don't think are accurate. That it's sort of like wireless is not as good. I don't think that's, I don't, I don't think that's what we say. I don't think that's what we believe. But like well, some people have gotten to that be, point. Wireless can be awesome to some houses. Like, so yeah. And that'll come up more in the, in the next discussion. Go ahead, Travis. I got an idea. We'll use twenty-five-three for every twenty-five <laughs> for every twenty-five homes you hook up fiber. You can hook up three wireless. <laughs> then you then you are granted these free tax dollars to spend. Well, the funny thing is that's about what they are going to do. Most of them say that their business plan is only to get 10% penetration. They're not well, going to try to sign up everybody. We're talking about that for the next, that's the next article that we're going to round the show out business yes. 10% penetration. That's yes. what we're about to talk about. Are they going to wait around for more Travis? government money or whatever? Did you not read to the end of the round of the email I sent you? The one he did not read his email. Soothsayer no, says I, I, Travis I, I skimmed it. over it and I was like, oh, that's for Kim, that's for Kim, that's for Kim. I, I don't see anything for me. So, you know, I just. Uh, all all the, the fixed wireless in Maine is, uh, is stuff that I expect you to be weighing in on, Mr. Travis. I'm ready. I'm ready, sir. Um, so, um, so I think this, this then leads into, uh, this issue, there's this light reading article that I thought was, uh, very good. Uh, Mike Dano, who I think we should bring on the show at some point like this. He writes oh, a should. lot of good we stuff. Should. He's very good. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of good people We're we have a lot of good people writing in this area. Uh, sometimes I think we if focus he's on the good. Why would he want to be on this show? Well, that's a good <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe he yeah. hasn't seen it. He doesn't. This is not broadband breakfast, Mr. Mitchell. Come on. <laughs> so um, we have uh, this article that uh, I think we'll be showing up in the chat here briefly. Um, but um, I thought it had a lot of interesting details. And so it's about Red Zone, uh, which is a company that has uh, been uh, working very hard in Maine to provide service and also working very hard to convince uh, the state of Maine that it did not need to do anything in terms of funding fiber or anything else, that they were going to solve all of the problems of Maine with this wonderful wireless service. It's a major promoter of Tirana and uh, some of the the big supporters of it have come after me personally in terms that I find hilarious. So a little bit of background on it. Uh, Jim McKenna uh, runs it. Uh, he's a guy who has a, a powerful background of getting stuff done. Uh, but anyway, he and there's estimates in it regarding costs. And um, one of the things that has already come up is that um, he said that um, I can do well with 10% market share. Fiber providers, on the other hand, need to acquire up to 50% of the customers in their coverage areas in order to be profitable. And then he, he's saying that this is actually a bad thing. Um, and he says that could be difficult in rural areas, suggesting that it would be a bad idea to put government money into fiber because the business model might not work if they don't get 50% penetration. I actually think that he's making the opposite case in some ways. <laughs> so um, I see Doug, you're nodding. Well, he's making the opposite case because he's saying that if he only gets 10% of the people, he's done. He's happy. What does he need money it's for? Like, what, about, what about the other 90% of the people who don't have any broadband again? Um, I've not known any rural fiber providers who only got 50%. I don't know any. None. Not a one. 
So that's crazy. They all get 60, 70, 80, 90%. Well, you're assuming that they are the one high quality provider in the area, right? I mean, yeah, if they build fiber. Yeah, well, I've, right. yes. If you're the only fiber, fiber provider, there's no cable. That's your assumption right now. Yes, rural areas. He's talking right. rural. And so, yes, they always get 50. I, I would even throw it as even if there is cable, you're going to get 80% in rural areas. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, that, that was my reaction as well. I, I was kind of horrified by that. And I think that's exactly what we've been talking about. And what I want to have Jim, John Chambers talking more about is this danger of funding providers that are only interested in getting enough to be profitable and not serving everyone. Now, I think personally, I think Jim, if he was here, would say that he does want to serve everyone and that we're not being charitable to him. Um, and I would also say channeling others, I suspect that they would say some WISPs are very much focused on getting to 100% of the market share. And that's where, like, I don't want to blanketly discriminate against wireless and say you can't do it. Uh, but it does seem like fiber is, is a technology where we more often see the providers who are often co-ops trying to get every last person connected. Now, I, I, I would I suspect question. we took his 10% quote out of context. Yes. Okay. Uh, Kim? Yes. So if he only needs 10% to be profitable, then he can lower his broadband costs and then serve other people, thus um, solving the issue of uh, cost savings. Um, what the yeah, he does offer is. an affordable plan. That's a part of the article I didn't quote here. Um, I think he said his most popular plan is a low cost plan that I think may be aimed at seniors. Um, uh, that is a 30 megabit plan or something like that. So like I said, I don't think this guy is a fly-by-night operator who's trying to do um, uh, harm to the community for his own benefit. But I do think he's wrong <laughs> about key things and giving bad advice to the state of Maine. Um, leading off of that, Kim, is a, is a what I really wanted to ask Travis about. Um, and so he talks about Tirana. Tirana, he's been one of the biggest boosters that I've seen of Tirana. Um, and, and he says, um, first of all, he says that they have quarterly outages uh, because of uh, naval operations, which was more than they expected. To me, that seems, that seems like a significant issue for what is a lifeline service in many of these areas. Uh, people need to call 911, even if the Navy is in operations nearby. Uh, I hope that they have a solution for that. And they very well may. Um, but it says, but in recent months, Red Zone has embraced equipment from vendor Tirana for its unlicensed 3.5 gigahertz CBRS operations. I think that's wrong. I think it's actually been more than a year that they've been doing Tirana. Uh, and then this is what got me shocked. Um, McKenna said Red Zone has been running Tirana equipment for around two years now. Oh, there it is. And currently counts hundreds of customers across roughly 15 cell towers. Well, that's, the, ten, that's the 10%. <laughs> I couldn't believe there was hundreds of customers. Like, I mean, this is a high quality product. I mean, like, you know, this is a competitive service. He's been telling Maine for years that he's the solution. He has fewer than 10,000 customers total and only hundreds of Toronto customers. Like I was just, I was kind of like, what, what are we talking about here? Yeah, Am I wrong to have that reaction? Well, so I, this is where read, I wanted context from Travis. Yeah, if you read the article, the real value he has is he's got, a, at least from what I can tell, he's got a 100 megahertz spectrum in the 2.5 band. That's, that's coming, right? He's going to be using that more effectively oh, okay. in the future. That, that, that's, that's what he's talking about. That's the real value. But I don't know. I did some simple math here. Maine has what one almost one point four million people. Uh, yep. He's but got they all. They all live right along the coast. Almost all of them. So the sure. rural people are rural. People are very rural. So. He's got nineties towers. My my simple back of the napkin math says that he's going to be able to serve about thirty six thousand homes without so, putting up new towers. Yeah, so what happens to the rest of them? Well, I presume they put up some, puts up more towers is what he'd say. Well, yeah, but there, there you can't just put up towers on every everywhere and everywhere. 
Well, so that's, I, that's I, my question often for wireless people. Yeah, yeah. So well, I he, only want, he only wants to serve the rural areas, Travis, because uh, literally ninety percent of the population of Maine lives within five miles of the coast. So I mean, that's, but a lot of those are fairly rural areas. Like you get up there yes, to the yes. area around. Um, I mean, I yes. think of. Um, um, oh, um, the area right by, um, oh, come on. Um, you know, I, I just, it's, it's coming Rockport and, um, the city that's just North of Rockport. Um, I think of those as being more urban, but they would be small towns still, uh, considered. Yeah. And a lot of people live around there and those sorts of areas. There's like a fair number, there's what, like a few hundred thousand in the Portland Metro, like within a 30, 40 miles of that, I'm guessing. And then the rest of the people are scattered mostly on the coast. Okay. Yeah, I but still, but still, yeah. if he can only do 36,000, how about towers in the water? Could you put towers up three, like on the co located on wind power three miles off the coast? Are people going to object to that? Oh, that'd be awesome. Your radio locks up and you got to go to the tower to fix it. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you know, it, has yeah. a, it has a three mile yeah. range. The rowboat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. the rowboat. <laughs> yeah. You mind climbing towers? Here's your little rowboat to get out to the tower. Yeah. All right. All right. No, I, I appreciate that. That no, was I mean, a really you know, dumb I idea on my part, but thank you for uh, that. Uh, technically, yes, but uh, somebody's Netflix down and there's big waves. Then what do you do? <laughs> You know, Mike Dano was thinking of coming on the show. He's not coming on now. I just scared him off. <laughs> this is this is right up there with um with uh, I asked the guys from Colorado what they do about the elk. Um, <laughs> um we should go well, back for well, that but, one. I think. But see, here, here's the thing, Chris, and you've probably run into this in the wisp community, and I, and I like wisps, and we're a wisp. But if you can get a wisp that gets up to ten thousand customers, they're pretty happy. You know, there, there, there is usually I don't ever get this vision of grandeur of trying to serve everybody. Yeah, I mean, you've got Nextlink and um, and uh, what are some of the other ones? There's that the one up in. Um, oh, there's thousands Mer of them. Yeah. Well, no, but yeah, the ones that are operating at scale, like the private equity. Mercury Oh, not yeah, not very many yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah so like there's five, about three or four six, of them. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I know a few guys. They've got 2,500 customers, and they service them like really well, and they're and they're they're happy to go. You know, it's, it's plenty, but you know, you're, you're not going to find a fiber operator that can, that can really get by with, you know, 10,000 maybe, but you're going to need, you got to have aspirations to mm -hmm. go bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Right. I agree. And that's where, and I, I, again, I just want to say like, I always accused of being picking on wireless, but um, I think in many ways it does come down to the importance of, uh, of the intentions of the owners um, and then the cap capability of the technology. Um so there are wisps who are going to try to get everyone, but I've really worried about putting money into wisps, knowing that it takes Herculean effort to get the 70, 90, hundred percent penetration in a rural area just because of the technology. Yeah. I rather, I, I, I rather put my money into wisp every day of the week than put it into big telco. I mean, yeah, you don't know right. where the wisp intentions are, but I think they're more likely to deliver at the end uh -huh. of the day. I'm with I'm with Kim. I would rather have the small guys try. Than That'll the be an guys. interesting battle in Maine because it'll be consolidated as the as the incumbent there. And and will the state give the money to consolidate it or to the Wisps? That's a really good question. And if, and if this guy's really sitting on a hundred megahertz chunk of two point five, he can he can do quite some some good. The question yeah. is, what's the next step? See, I would I would parlay that into a, a fiber wireless hybrid network myself. And that's the thing that I find so puzzling about him is he is among the most militantly anti-fiber. I mean, I would say that he is not pro-wireless so much as he is anti-fiber from what I can tell of his comments. You, you find that in the WISP community quite a bit. They, they, they get pretty drunk on their Kool-Aid uh, on 
and, and until you've run a, a wisp and then run a fiber network it's hard not to get drunk on being a fiber you know advocate because they they just work and they deliver and they don't cause problems and you don't it's just they're they're exponentially better so um any last comments on that we can move forward so um bumper oh, okay. topic where can I get 100 megahertz at 2.5? Seriously, I'll take some of that. I, mean, uh, I think it comes down to the schools, right? Ultimately, I'm guessing. Okay, why they give it to the schools? They're not using it for. They give the schools in the many 90s. years ago. Many years ago. Yeah. Okay, the schools should have to give it up. Well, the thing is that I mean, this is the whole thing of how this works, right? Is that the schools had it. Um, the federal government wanted to encourage them to to give it up. Schools recognized that they were sitting on a pot of gold. Some of them wanted to use it for tech, like Imperial Desert, not Desert, Imperial School District down on the border in Southern California, on the border with Me Mexico. Um, they actually used their 2.5 gigahertz to deliver service to people all across the rural area. Mm. Um, so they're using it. Others... Uh, leased it out to Sprint back when the WiMAX days. Um, Sprint right. was rolling it up, right? And um, and others still weren't using it, and that is what I think became available from the 2.5 gigahertz um, spectrum auction, right? And then the big company that rolled it all up was Dell Computer, believe it or not. They're sitting really? on a mountain of it. Yeah. And they're just not using I, it right I now? Used, I used. I keep, they're looking. Yeah. They, they're, just... they're trying to change the law so that it's worth more. <laughs> no, it's just so frustrating, right? I mean, like, this I is, know. we had this fight. We didn't, we never talked about it on the show because I think the show started after it. But, like, the whole DSRC was at the dedicated short range communications, the yes. 5.9 gigahertz that the auto companies were using in that fight. I was yes. really worried that the auto companies were going to be able to keep sitting on that, just hoping it would be worthwhile as they refused to use it for anything. Um, I really wish we'd see just a stronger effort to claw back this stuff when it's not used. I agree. Uh, it's supposed to be, you know, working for all. We were trying to get the military to get off spectrum while there's just stuff that's just sitting there waiting for someone to get a bigger payday. Um, it's uh, it's just this is the problem. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to rant about it though. That was, hey, Chris, uh, that was I, I have a concern. Good. Yeah, I have a concern. Um, you might want to water your plant behind you at some point. Um, every Seriously. time you go fix yeah. uh, I've been uh, I've been laughed at by people who are asking why I have corn stalks behind me, and that is uh, bamboo. It is my wife's bamboo, and I believe it was actually a gift from my mom to my wife uh, for our wedding. So uh, I believe it was recently watered. I think that's just what it looks like. <laughs> so for her wedding, she gave her dead bamboo. That's very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, my mom doesn't like my wife so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the uh, one of the things I threw in for just um, uh, fun and for stress relief on me was that um, uh, Sec Commerce Secretary Raimondo, someone that people have talked about as being one of the 462 possible Democratic candidates uh, for president in the future. Um, she uh, came to Minnesota and said, absolutely, Beat is going to solve all the broadband problems. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you see my hair, it's standing up because I just kept pulling at it and I was just so angry. <laughs> just, I, I, I think it's, it's just malpractice. It's political malpractice. It's just really really dumb politics. I mean, really dumb politics uh, to make those exaggerated claims. So I want to share that and see if there's any reactions. But okay, but I, I have a really honest um, question here. Do they even know that it's not enough money? I think that I have realized lately that this is such a nuanced industry that is so hard to really understand. 
do they really believe it? Or do you think that they're just, I would think it'd be her job to know it. Right. Like it's like if, if, if she has someone like her deputy secretary, who's not telling her that, um, you know, someone who wrote the speech and then, and then reviewed the speech and didn't say, wait a minute, do we, do we know this for sure? Like, um, I mean, this is, we've been doing this, talking about this for years now. I'm not saying we're not. I'm just saying that that's what I've heard lately. I've been talking to people about broadband. I'm like, you know, just the talking points. You don't, don't know forget, anything yeah, behind the Minnesota scenes. Minnesota lost like $300 million to Ardoff or something like that, right? I mean, like we got really screwed by the LTD um, effort. Uh, so um, maybe it would have if we had taken all those locations off. But there's tons of people out there who aren't getting any benefit from Ardoff because uh, LTD um, got it, the award. And then I think the FCC properly denied it to them. So it's unfortunate, but got hit by that pretty hard. So, But it'll fall back to someone actually building a real network there, which is good. So, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's and that's certainly the hope. And this is where, um, I mean, Doug, I think you're probably the best positioned out of all of us to know. But like, should I be frustrated with um, the fact that the FCC is not doing anything on Ardoff? Like, I mean, should they no, at least no, no, should they no, at least no. be saying, "Hey, here's the plan. We're going to wait and see what happens with Bead, and then we're going to do X, Y, and Z." They're just not oh, saying anything right now. You, they're officially committed to doing another auction at some point. You, do, you don't know. You don't want to hear what I think they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I believe that after after the big guys win all the money, Travis, I think that they're going to give instead of Ardoff, they're just operating give it subsidies. Out as subsidies to them. That's my bet. I mean, we need we need to get subsidies out to uh, the um, to the tribes. I think, like, I'm yeah. deeply worried, particularly oh, no, if CCP goes away. Like, the we big need- guys are saying, "Look, I took a grant to." build this middle of nowhere county and now i need money to keep running it that's what they're going to all say and you think the fcc is going to be loaded up with commissioners who are predisposed to say yeah that sounds right yes so there will not be another auction they'll just hand it it'll be another calf too is what it'll be you're hurting my heart doug I, i just i just I think I just took all the wind out of his sails. What, why, why do you think this? Why do you think you that? I've already because yeah. I've been reading everyone. I've been reading all the discussions about it. They're already talking subsidies instead of they believe they believe that that bead's going to solve it all. So now they're talking turning it all to subsidy. They're already having that discussion. Yeah. There's a Paul Krugman calls them very serious people. I think that's really an accurate sort of thing. Like the people who take themselves seriously and, and they know all this stuff, although they really have no idea what they're talking about. Um, we, don't, we don't know anyone like that. That's lucky for us. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll gladly admit to what I think I know and what I'm still trying to figure out, but um, they, um, they haven't been reading Mike Conlow, I'm guessing, because Mike Conlow is just a, a piker who uh, no one listens to, right? Because he doesn't even have the right job or maybe, I don't know. But I mean, he's been like, his numbers seem pretty clear that like yes. places like Nebraska, like you could spend all the rest of the art off money in Nebraska, potentially, it looks like. Yes. So we're going to end up a lot of states who are short. Then what? Uh, so, uh, we did have a question before that we did not deal with. And also we still have, you know, I think if anyone wants to throw anything into the chat that they want us to discuss, uh, that, uh, we still have a little bit of time left. Uh, we had previously talked about consultants and there was questions that came in about who do consultants work for? Doug, um, do you get hired to do work by, um, let's just say the city of St. Paul, because we know that you're not working for them. Um, uh, who would you be working for? The they city, usually, the they, staff, they usually, mayor. They usually, they usually tell me. 
And so, and it could be any of the three. I've worked for all three of those. The interesting thing is you sometimes only work for one and the other two don't like it. I, a story I have to tell from years ago, a county in Virginia wanted a state grant to do a broadband study. So I did it and staff hired me. We did all the work. I came down, I went to make the presentation to the board. Turns out they were all like 89 years old and they're like, who the hell is this guy? We don't need broadband. And they, they threw me out of the board. <laughs> Was it because you were wearing a tie-dye shirt? Do you present with well, a tie-dye shirt? I, I actually did not have a tie-dye shirt on for the presentation. But you didn't wear but, shoes. You can admit this. You were wearing sandals. I wore sandals. And but they but they they none of them even had computers. They didn't believe that you needed broadband. And so they're like, Whose idea was this? They were mad at staff, and they cut us off and threw me out of the room. So, hmm. so, 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 so you, they usually tell you who you're working for. That doesn't mean that you're working for the right one. So, yeah, right. Because we've seen cities where the city council <laughs> is really supportive of an effort. I mean, Cambridge is one of these where the yes. city council was totally lined up, and the city, um, um, the city. Uh, administrator uh, who had all the power in the arrangement uh, said, Nope, I'm just, I'm totally opposed to this. I don't care what it is. Like I just, we're not doing it and uh, had yeah. no interest. But sometimes uh, I work for the city council. I'll do that quite often. That's who hires me. Just you work for one of those three Rare, I rarely get hired by mayors. It's usually city council or staff, but, you know, but they usually tell you so. But I think that's an important point that you just made, it Doug, is. is that the city council and the city manager or whoever's over it needs to be in alignment on this project. Because if one is for it and the other one against it, you, they're just wasting their money by hiring you, Doug. Well, and they're wasting my time, to too. Yeah. Yes, they're wasting. I, I don't like to do the work that gets thrown away. It's, it's a waste yeah. of everyone's time. So. Another question that comes up is, is your job to say yes or your job to say no? Because I would guess in, in half of the time, I mean, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. In more than half of the times, do you know what the expected answer is that the, the client wants? I usually know what they want. Uh, it doesn't mean I know what the answer is going to be till I finish it. And then I tell them the truth. I, I'm, no, I'm no longer 40 years old and I don't, I'm no longer caring if they hire me after it's done. I tell them the absolute unvarnished truth at the end. They don't often like that. If I say it's not going to work here, you can't do it. That's not an answer they like to hear. But so let's go back. I'm curious. Um, and and I, I, but other consultants don't do that necessarily. So there's some consultants who are famous for not doing that. So right, I feel like there's some consultants who literally won't even say yes or no. They'll just right. like give the slide deck and yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, I, I remember back, and I, I appreciate if you don't remember this, but when the Renville Sibley was first working on their approach with uh, the joint powers agreement and the county involved, you did the numbers. And I was a little bit surprised in that you came back and basically said you need 70% within four years and you can make it work. And I kind of expected you to say next, and that's not going to happen <laughs> because this was like 2011, 2012-ish, maybe it's 2013. Um, but I felt like in that case, like you saw a path that that I didn't. And I'm just curious if you well, remember that. The reason that I thought it could work there is that area is almost all farmers and they almost all wanted it. So I believe they would have gotten their 70. So, yes. Okay. But that, yeah, I mean, that's there, not, had, but like, there's many a places where you won't get that number. Yeah, I thought they would get it. So they had like um, they had mailed out um, information to every single household within the yes. footprint, and they had had a hundred local meetings. It was impressive. Yeah, yeah. So they they had the support to get very close to that number. 
Mm-hmm. Doug is doubling down on his projections back in the day, Chris. He's not backing off. He's I am a retroactive soothsayer. <laughs> well, did you did you do the 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 business case then for them that they did move forward with? Yeah, except they never raised their money in the business case. Fall well, apart. exactly. So they hit the number of subscribers that they needed. So you did your job correctly, but they mangled yeah. the finance and they, they ended up the finance um, and they never they're still doing well. I mean, they're still right. doing well, but they had yes. to tap into taxpayer dollars. Uh, and yes. I was at the meeting where they announced that they would. And people's number one question was not anything about the taxpayer dollars. It was, when am I getting my network? Right. <laughs> That's what they wanted to right. know. So Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, do you remember all of your clients that well or just the the fun ones? I remember 90% of them pretty well. I'll never yeah. forget the one who threw me out of the council. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. yeah. All right. So is there any other topics? So I don't see anything in the chat room except Ezra's laughing um, so hard he's crying. Oh, wow. Really? Of us? Uh, well, here we got a we got a comment that we can pick up on. Um, Jay Hankey, friend of the show. Uh, uh, a lot of consultants struggle in the middle mile parts of fiber to the home projects mm-hmm. uh, and the benefits of IXPs. Um, thoughts on that? It all depends. Well, that's very local situation. Some places that makes sense. Some places you can't afford mm-hmm. to build middle mile. It just depends where you are. So. But this gets back you need to-, to think about it. You need to think about it before. A lot of them think they can just build the fiber network in their community. And they oh, I've seen, I've seen people who I've seen people build it and go, now how are we going to get connected? Like, you kind of should have asked that question a little while. Ago. Remember last time we were arguing with Chris on that, and he's like, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. Connections everywhere. You just, you know. No, that's what, yeah. We we were we were coming to virtual blows over it, and um, because like. <laughs> I, that's the thing is that I feel like it's a similar question to the supply chain in that like everyone talks about this and I have yet to find someone. I mean, that, that Doug's case is the one that I've heard of, but most people are, I'm like, well, what do you do? And like, like I was talking to one provider, I don't think I was going to share who they are, but they were like, yeah, for the first three years, we have to overpay this awful connection. But then after that, we'll have the revenue we need to build our own, you know, or to get where we need to go. But it's a few years of, of ugly pain. And as long as you know that up front, that's fine. As long as you've understood that, yes. So some yeah, of them do well, not. Well, Ryan and I were talking out. about that before the the call here. Yeah. I mean, when you first start out and you're just buying transit from a from a mm-hmm. from a carrier, your costs are very high. Mm-hmm. When, when you can finally get peering at an internet exchange is when you is when your per packet or your per bit cost goes down. But that yeah. takes a while. And if you're out in the middle of nowhere, your costs are back while. there could be a long, long while. So. Yes. That's why small ISPs can't just start up with this bead money because they have to have the volume to make that work. I mean, it's, there's just so many aspects when we think about how easy it is and why don't people get in this business. It's because of all these nuances that people don't think about. Bead is not going to finance any startups. There's not a chance a startup's going to get it. Yeah. So what percent of the dollars in bead are going to the incumbents? I forget what we decided. I think you said 95%. And no, I'm he's a 99%. I'm pretty sure he's up uh, there. Uh, mm. my percentage keeps climbing it's getting way up mm-hmm. i'm at uh, like 90 a, i'm at 90 i think i'm at I'm 90 a, what are you at doug i'm kind of leaning towards that number now myself i'm saying 75 oh. i think the co-ops are gonna <laughs> are gonna do well um I, I was at like 65 or 55 before so i'm climbing also but i'm still <laughs> whoa 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 no 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 no, no. you got to be the other end 10 percent is what mitchell told me 10 <laughs> percent. i'm never gonna stop yeah. buying wings yeah. <laughs> The reason it won't be 90 is there are a few states who are going to bend over backwards to give it not to the incumbents. So that's 
kind of keep the percentage. So for yeah. our analysis, let's 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 not talk about Vermont, right? Like when, if we're gonna figure out who got this right in four or five years, when we have enough numbers to go over it, um, we will not count states like Vermont that do it right. Uh, we'll just look at the states that are more um, normal. Can we each get one one guess of what state does it right? <laughs> and then we and then we can compare in episode seven hundred and thirty-two who did it. <laughs> I'm gonna say Vermont. I'm sticking with Vermont. Vermont. Kim, who's gonna do it right? You know, I'm just gonna go for the long, the long game here. I'm just gonna go with Texas. Texas. <laughs> All right. Doug. Doug already knows. Look at he's he knows. I have I no think... idea. My my problem is mm -hmm. I don't. There's not very many broadband offices who are good enough to truly grasp all these rules yet. I mean, th these are the most complicated, unbelievable rules. You think CPC will get it right? They've got the specialization at least. No, they're going to all to the big companies. I think I think California <laughs> is is going to struggle with their politics yes. um, of, of being California. They've always defaulted to the big companies, even though their intentions are not to do that. That's where they always end up. Texas is not a bad pick. They got a lot of money and they also have a billion and a half of their own money to put in. That's a mm -hmm. lot of money. They might they got a lot of dirt though. They yes. got a lot of dirt. But yes. they have a lot of aerial too. They also have a lot of flat places, which are good. So yes. Hmm. Travis, do you have a state? I'm going Guam. <laughs> Those guys got it figured out in Guam. Until the, like until, the next, until the next time. Until the next time. trying to get a junket. No, no, I think I think Guam knows what they're doing. You want to uh, go investigate. Yeah, I just I think they've got the Guam broadband department's got it figured out. They know what they're going to do. They're going to get everyone hooked up and they're going to be a, the screaming success of the bead program. Doug, you have a quick state. I want to move on. No, I really don't. I haven't really have never thought about that. I don't have anyone. Right, well, okay, Doug Doug's getting last. Not North Carolina. It's, well, North Carolina will do it well. It's going to mostly go to charter, but they're going to give it all away. <laughs> that is not doing it well. Um, <laughs> so um, the last uh, it was a couple other things. We have a. Okay, I, I do have one. I think Virginia is going to do very well. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so um, we were talking earlier also about, um, I was so excited when I got into this business and I was starting to learn more about it. And I learned what a committed rate was and the burstable and how you paid on the 95th percentile of the speed that you used and in the negotiation around uh, getting your transit. And then Travis told me that that doesn't happen anymore, that that's all old news. So is that is that the case? Is that all old news? Well, shoot, sorry, I was, I was thinking about Guam. What did you say? <laughs> The old model with the 95th percentile, um, that's just old news. Now, you just pay for the big pipes. Well, you know, again, we have, I haven't bought like a one gig internet circuit anymore. Actually, maybe Jay can, can pipe in here. But generally now, we just sell them based either 110, 100. You know, we don't really monitor the, the bursting anymore. Kim, are you guys buying transit in fractionals anymore? I don't know. I'm, they don't let me know this kind of stuff, Travis. Are you really asking me this? Yeah. The answer is almost, almost nobody does. Again, unless you're in I that rural. So, but... If you're in those rural markets where you have to pay the incumbents, you're very careful about what you buy. Otherwise, yeah. you just you just buy a big pipe now. So, yes. Yeah, that's what um, Jay says there. Um, that's yeah. popping up. Yeah. Too. So just to give you an idea, to go from one side of Minneapolis to the other, when we first got in business in like in around the year 2000, $45,000 a month for 45 megabit. Wow. Nowadays, 
hundreds of gigabits for next to nothing. And that was a DS3, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, OC48. OC48, okay. Yeah. Just the line right. card for a Cisco was 125 grand. Oh, yeah, I remember so, that. So let's, yes. yeah. You know, we, we talk about how expensive things are today. Man, stuff's cheap today compared to what it used to right. be. Yeah. Uh, we have a question about eminent domain, um, invoking it over telecommunications um, system infrastructure. Uh, I've always been um, nervous about this. I have strong feelings about eminent domain and liberty. Um, and I, I did find it odd that in, the, in uh, Minnesota, it takes a supermajority vote of 65% to build your own network, but you can condemn the municipality, uh, the assets of the existing provider, the 50% vote. I felt like that was a, a sign of just something being a little bit off. Um, although I think we can appreciate that doesn't happen very much. People fortunately don't vote for that. I don't see I don't see the main used very often. Very, very seldom does anybody make that happen anymore. It's, it's so rare that you hear about it. It makes news. I mean, every, almost everywhere has at least one route of public access, mm -hmm. and and if you can't get down a private road, you just don't go down the private road anymore. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I haven't. I can't remember the last time I heard a state or a county invoke that. Really, you did it. Used yeah, to do I, it. They used to do it. Yeah. I have a whole team underneath me that um, just deals with contacting HOAs who are on private roads and getting the agreements. And yeah. I mean, it's a full-time job of how much we're building and making those relationships to make sure we can go down them. And sometimes we can't, but in two years, they might call back up and say, come. And then at that time we will, but it is, uh, it's an interesting process to get all those, that documentation for those areas. But yeah, you've but never, you've never considered forcing yourself. And I mean, it's just, no. it's a losing battle. I think, and I think that's a, it's a sad statement of uh, public policy. I mean, Mitchell Shook also noted that this was done, you know, as part of electrification. Um, I, you know, I have uh, deep concerns about the misuse of it, but at the same time, I have to say that like we defer to the investor owned utilities uh, and I'm speaking more about electric here than anything, way more than we should. Like they rip us off left and right. They never face a penalty for it hardly. They're bribing people in state after state. And uh, we don't expect them to actually pay a price for that. I, I think like there should be some role in which the public says, you know what, like we're gonna take this over and we're gonna pay you fair market value or whatever, but uh, we're gonna take it over. And I think um, it should be, we should be able to do that even though I'm certainly nervous about its application. Yeah, but rural electrification was done by co-ops and they were given the right of eminent domain because if you can't go down the road, that meant 500 people passed mm -hmm. there and didn't get electricity. They, they, they did invoke it a lot. And again, they only invoked it along the right of way along the edge of the road. But they Well, I was going to say, and aren't we benefiting from that today because we're using Well, and we still have those same right Yeah, we still have the right-of-ways that, that, that we're using. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think this is where even us advocates – go ahead, Kim. I was like, you just didn't have the lobbies back then that would fight against this like, that you would today. I mean, you can say this all, all the time about the electrification of America and what we did. It's a totally different game that we're it, playing in. in ways, I mean, it's actually more similar than you might think. Um, there was a lot of people against electricity. I mean, that's the thing is that I actually think we might yeah. be moving into that age more. I mean, that's what gives me hope and why I'm, um, you know, not just uh, submitting my resignation after Doug's comments about Ardoff today. Um, <laughs> is that I think we are heading into that era. But the Mitchell, the uh, Mitchell, um, the um, electric companies 
uh, were monopolies that were even more hated than the cable and telephone companies are today. Um, I, I think we'll be curious to see in five years how much people hate Comcast and AT&T. But um, the reason that we have the co-ops is because of Harold Ickes. And I love telling this story, but Harold Ickes was a Republican that FDR put into office to run the Interior Department. He was in charge of figuring out electrification. And uh, when uh, I think it was uh, Edmund Cook or someone like that, I forget his name, uh, came to him with a plan and said, basically, we got to work with the electric uh, monopolies or else we're not going to get this rural thing done. And Harold Dickey's literally said, I won't work with the sons of bitches uh, and said, find a different way. And that's where, you know, Pennsylvania had experimented with co-ops previously. And then we had a whole we, we launched into co-ops in 1935 without the kind of robust assumption that it would work. We didn't know it would work like it was something that, that people thought was important and willing to try. And my last comment on that is, I think even those of us who are huge Internet evangelists, we don't even have the courage of our convictions to say it's that important. I think we take the corporate power uh, too much for granted that we can't do anything about it. We try to work around it. But at a certain point, like I actually think the people are more with us than we might think to actually say, you know what? We should condemn some of this stuff. We should take a little bit more power to get these networks out and make sure that everyone has high quality Internet access. It's that important. Travis, I think that so too. very close to a rant. Well done. Yeah, I'm telling you. Well done. But but Chris, I will say this, and this is one of the things that I struggle with, is yes, I think the people are on our side, but nobody understands the politics, um, regular people behind broadband and what is really out there. So yes, I agree, if we can communicate what's really happening behind the scenes in broadband, people would be absolutely on our side. But how do we get that word out there to communicate that, to, to rally the troops? Yeah. I think that's the task. So um, I think we're out of time. Uh, it was a fun discussion. I think we touched a lot of different things. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll have a spicy uh, guest next time. I think we'll be back in two weeks. And then spicy. I don't know about August. August is going to be interesting. I've got uh, August is going to be painful. We might only have one show in uh in august and ezra's right um ezra says start a podcast travis, travis the world needs is travis, another podcast travis <laughs> travis already said he can't make the august show he's not gonna do that yeah uh and i i don't know like i we'll talk more about this i might be backing out of orlando even though travis is going it's, it's the only reason i'm going at this point it'd be so that, so i can hang out with travis and him together <laughs> no i'm trying to figure it out august is what so do you mean bad you're not going august is so bad you didn't answer my text my green text about all well, you know, i don't gotta figure it out you're a green text friend. You go to the bottom of the list. Kim already explained that to you. <laughs> yeah. This is where he just this is where he just broke the news to you, Travis. He's not I'm gonna buy an iPhone to just communicate with Travis. It'll be worth hey, it. If anyone's down in the at the Midwest Peering Summit Monday, Tuesday, though, I'll be there with Mr. Jay Hankey hanging out. Um, so stop by and say hi. And <laughs> that then, seems like a really fun event to be at. So. I'll bet it will be. Oh, it's That's gonna be fun. super fun. And, and we can tell <laughs> we can tell that good stories about Mr. Mitchell then. <laughs> so I think we're going to have a show in two weeks-ish and then maybe one in August and then we'll be back in September and maybe we'll go a little crazy to get caught up. I don't know. Or else, y'all, I give you permission to work with Rye to do one without me. Uh, but um, August is... Oh, I love this idea. Oh, I love this idea. I think we could probably make this work, guys. Ooh. I think my colleague Sean would love to step in and he'd probably do great. Or I could even step in and um, yeah. make someone else produce it. But um, oh, I'm not no. saying I'm replaceable. Uh, I, I, I welcome <laughs> that because the audience needs the wisdom of the three of you. I'll say that. Oh, this is going to be awesome. Okay. <laughs> See you, Chris. We're going to figure out a plan. This might be one of my last shows, but uh, <laughs> until the next one. <laughs>
<laughs> it's been another fun episode of connect this. Connect this.